Welcome to the latest episode of 115 Miles. Has talked them through what we've just talked about. We have talked, well, we had a check-in, Josh, uh, which was nice. We haven't seen each other in person for a while. We haven't done a studio, so that was good. Uh, we talked about your weekend after 10 years of sobriety, and then we started talking a bit about uh, what's been happening in the UK in terms of uh, the uh, sweeping changes that Preeti Patel is uh, bringing in and r removing our human rights. Uh, we also talked about... Uh, uh, power structures and what that means, how we can uh, maybe seek change and create meaningful change in that sense. And we also talked about censorship as well. Actually, we talked about quite a lot of different topics that all evolve around, you know, the political environment at the moment and, 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 and the power structures and what that means for us. Where should people come and find us if they enjoy this house? At 115 Miles Pod. Well remembered, come and join us on Instagram and we'll see you very soon. <laughs> This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different, but we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture and everything in between. Have you ever tried these? No. There is a chilli one that's even nicer. Is it banging? It is banging, mate, yeah. Natural energy. I like an energy drink, but I don't like the sugary ones. Do you? No, uh, yeah, I like... I've only ever had Red Bull once or twice. Never had any of the monsters or anything. Whatever. Ever. What, you've never had Relentless? No, probably like one or two. Maybe three. Wow. Have I been missing out? Um, I feel like we're like, we should start the pod. Let's start the podcast. How do we start when we're like this? I think we've started. We're Are away. We? Let's right, go. Okay. We're in a new setting, Hass. How are you feeling about I'm all right. This is, this is a new level of weird eye contact shit that we're going to have to navigate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like... Um, you know, when you're in, when you're a teenager and you're sat the opposite end of a sofa from somebody that you quite like, and you're sort of thinking, how do I start to navigate towards Is it exactly them? like that? Oh, okay. So, what's your strategy to navigate towards me? You know, well, I think my first move would be to think of a video that I'd want to show you oh, on my phone, and then sort of edge closer with that. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. Shall uh, we move on? Because this is getting a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 115 Miles. We're back in the studio together, Josh. Finally, finally back in the studio. The yeah. vibe is so much better than on Zoom. Mate. Yeah, I know. And also, we were just saying, we haven't actually seen each other for a little while in person. No, probably not this year. No, nah, I think you're nah, I think pushing you're, it a bit. Your memory's playing games with you. I'm <laughs> sure we've seen each other this year. I'm not fully convinced. And I'm going to see you again on Friday, right? Well, you're not going to be there. I'm not going to be there. Brilliant. I leave that to other people to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. My minions. Big top MD now. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Exactly. So uh, how was your weekend? Big Mate, weekend. It was amazing. Um, obviously, celebrated 10 years sobriety on Saturday. Um, so I was very... I was probably, to be honest with you, I was probably more reflective in the run-up to the day than mm. I was on the day. Mm. It's a bit like when... It's a bit like any kind of big birthday, I guess. You get all excited about it and then you wake up and it's like, oh, I don't feel remotely different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you, you sort of ran into it as well, right? It was such a, because it was off of the back of Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. You were really busy. So, I mean, I wonder if that made a difference as well. Yeah, well, it did because the thing about Mental Health Awareness Week, so my, like, the work that I do has changed quite a lot over the last few years, right? When I first started, it was just really people just getting me to share my story. Mm. And then it's evolved and I do a lot more kind of workshop stuff now, really. And it's a lot, a lot more about kind of properly coaching people, yeah? And, and, and looking at different situations and all that stuff. So it's much less about my story, although I'm very self-reflective in the way that I deliver. But Mental Health Awareness Week, people want your story. Right, yeah. So it was back to a week of sharing my story and then... I think it's like when I share it, so I, I was with the guys from that day, for example, on the Thursday at a company and one of them sat in because they intro it and all that sort of stuff. And when we come out, he was like, cool, gets me every time I was like, I had a tear in there. And I think when 
somebody who's a good, you know, a good friend of mine that knows my story pretty much inside out, but hears it and says that it still makes him emotional. Yeah. I think that's when I get like a bit like, wow, yeah, like this is mad. Yeah. It definitely still makes me feel emotional when I hear you. I might catch a snippet of it or you talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Or I think about, like, I thought about it quite a lot last week, probably more than you might imagine, just because we've sort of been on a journey with it every year since we started doing the podcast, you yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. But for it to be 10 years, I think, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, because it was, I, I guess it was like four years ago, or was it five years ago that I met you? No. About five, I think. Five, yeah, yeah five years ago. So when you, when you think about it, it's time flies really as well, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah, you're not, to think, you're not wrong, mate. To yeah. think it's been five years. Yeah. So, um, and then the journey really, I mean, I'm not sort of blowing my own trumpet here, or I am maybe a little bit, but even if you take, <laughs> <laughs> even if you take the rest of my story away and start my story five years ago when I met you, which was a man who was depressed of his job, had no qualifications, Talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very accurate, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here you are yeah. still in that same shitty <laughs> Yeah, position. you haven't moved on. No, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, that's where I work. Progress is overrated. <laughs> Progress is overrated, yeah, exactly. Um, but even the five years since then, mm. you know, if you, if you take away everything about my story and just be a man stuck in a dead-end job with no qualifications and not believing I could get out of it yeah. to where I am now. Yeah. S some... Some people might say that, you know, the su the success you've had or the growth you've had is as a result of the journey you were going on, you know, before. So what would you say to somebody, you know, who, who doesn't say have the same backstory, um, but just in terms of the progress of the last five years, because I think that is quite important. Like for somebody yeah, who just needs to start from, you know, somebody who might have had a job then didn't, now they don't have a job and now they're struggling. Like, how, how do they start to think about turning their life around? I think, and this is quite a good conversation really, because I, I would have identified when I was still in that job, when I first met you, I would have identified with every symptom of depression. I could have easily have got myself, and I'm not a doctor, but the truth is, is I could have got diagnosed as being depressed. I'd been, felt low for a long time. I felt feelings of hopelessness, right? And I felt all of the stuff that you would lead to feeling depressed, right? Um, but I think what a lot of my experience had taught me up until that point is you have to do something with this, otherwise you're gonna be stuck here. And so what I did is I was motivated by the pain, really. Mm. It's like, I can't do this. Mm. What I think my life had also taught me before that was that you can get up from anywhere. So so when I did, I mean, there was a lot of risk in what I did really in leaving my job, but it's Jim Carrey who says that his dad taught him, Jim Carrey, you know, the comedian. Yeah. His dad um, was really, really good at comedy apparently. Right. But didn't want to risk going down that route. So he got a safe job. Yeah. Um, and he said, that, and Jim Carrey says, my dad taught me that you can fail at what you want to do. So you may as well take a risk at failing on what you don't want to do. And I think that's kind of what I did. So, so sorry, just to bring it back to the question, I do think we have to try and listen to what we feel and try to take the motivation from that. When we just pathologize it, so I could have just said I'm depressed and you know, that's just unlucky and it's bad for me. Um, when we take those kind of labels and just use them without actually trying to find meaning in how I'm feeling, yeah, um, it can be problematic. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you know, like your, you know, there are there are so many elements in your journey, even up to the day you decided to quit drinking, that I think probably you draw upon in terms of your resilience. Mm -hmm work and the story and how you help people nowadays it wasn't just about that moment then on it was probably even just surviving right surviving through those years and things like that and so i think your story i i, I do think you're quite unique or rare in terms of a human being and kind of your strengths and and it's manifested in a really positive way even though i didn't funnily enough i wouldn't have known that when i met you 
I wouldn't have known any of that stuff. It just shows, isn't it, how how good we get at at putting the mask on, mm. at, at, help, at like making people not see inside us, you know, not mm. see us. Because I wouldn't have known that you were feeling, you know, sort of there. I, yeah, but I think it's the way that I was making sense of my pain. So if you look at what I said to you when I met, I, I hate my job, I need to get out of it, I can't do it anymore, I can't do this. That language, you will have, you, like, you will have seen it. Yeah. But I wasn't identifying it as that. Yeah. I was bringing my pain to you in a way that said, I am motivated by the way that I'm feeling and I want to yeah. create positive change in my yeah. life. Yeah. And that that is like, it's hard because you don't want it like, it's a, it's a complex conversation and you don't want to make, take away people's experiences that might be having feelings of depression and saying, you just need motivation and you just need a mindset yeah. shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not what I'm saying. It's yeah. a little bit more complex than that. But at that stage in my life, that is what I was doing. Yeah. Because I remember saying to you, this is how much I earn. Yeah. And I need to earn at least this much to survive. Yeah. And I remember you sort of like pulled a bit of a face and shook your head. And I thought, and I remember the sinking feeling of, that's the kicker. That's where he's going to look at me and say, I don't know if we can do that. And and then you like, but a second later, you was like, you'll do that easily. You can do that easily. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. Right. And it was, you know, me being able to bring you my pain in the way that I did, which is what I did. I brought you my pain, I brought you my struggle and I said, I need to do something about this. I need to create change in my life. Your confidence from that moment when we met, where you were like, no, no, you can do this. And you were like, no, no, no. It wasn't just like, no, 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 I reckon we could do this. You were like, no, 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 we'll do it. And I remember coming away and I had some bad experiences, didn't I, with a couple of people who I gave some money to try and help me. Mm. Um, I'm still waiting for my money, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when am I getting paid? Listen, you are where you are because of me now. Uh, <laughs> but I remember, do you remember? I went home to yeah. my wife, to Leah. She was like, well, what does he want? And I was like, he doesn't want anything. And she wasn't, you know, Leah would be the first to tell you she's not the most trusting person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't having it. Yeah. Why would he do that? Yeah. And I think for a long period of time. Have I earned a trust yet? <laughs> As we sat down eating the hamper the weekend, I think you just about you just about did. But I remember, you know, it took me a year. It took me a little while to fully trust you, or not to fully trust you, but like, you know, st stop offering you money just for yeah being there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a bit knocked off about it. That was the last time I ever asked you. Yeah, yeah. It knocked off in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and actually, so two things around what, what my hearing of what you just said is it isn't about you know if you're feeling depressed just you know find the courage to kind of work through it different people have different parts of their journey but understanding that you've got to, you've got to kind of f find those elements within yourself and understand try to understand where they are but also be willing to take other people into your circle of trust yeah for sure i think that you know i was just that person in that moment it could have been someone else but actually Somebody that just said, actually, somebody who could see a side of you that you might not have seen about yourself, which is the, the beauty of perspective. So if you can find that, and it's all relative, right? So, what, you know, your struggles to me seem really significant and great. You might look at, say, some of the things I've been through and think, oh, wow, Hass has made his way through some of that stuff and vice versa. It's all relative. Yeah. We all have our version of that. The thing I always find about um, big challenges or big problems is in our head, when we don't put it sort of some certainty around it, it's like it's infinity. Mm. Like you look at it and you go, it's a massive open loop and you think I'm never gonna be able to do that. And that's yeah. our mind playing tricks on us. It's saying to us, it's so big that you can't even get anywhere close to it. So why bother? Yeah. And I've always found certainly personally and also in some of the work that I've done with coaching is as soon as we can put a summit to that challenge. So if it's money problems and you've been like going, oh, this is huge. I owe so much debt, I owe so much debt. Once you know what that number is, it may still be massive, but it is the end point. Yeah. And then you go, right, that's what I'm aiming for. So let me start to kind of figure out how I'm going to get there. And I've always found that once I've put that summit point onto any big challenges, I go, oh, okay, it is, that's a journey and a mm. half. But if I sort of break it up into these parts, I can sort of get there. Yeah. And I do that with clients as well. And it's amazing how suddenly you go, um, ah, okay. I can do this. It's not going to be easy, but I can do it. And I liken it to if you were at the bottom of Everest, like literally at the bottom of that mountain and you looked up, you wouldn't see an end yeah. with the human eye. But you know there's an end there. 
Yeah, yeah. So you have to start kind of thinking about how do I start to get to that point where you get to a certain point and you actually your your, your progress is going to carry you forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 sometimes you can bring those down and make like even smaller summits, right? Yeah. When I look at like the ten years of sobriety that I've had, that's been built on a day by day. Mm. You know, in those initial. In the beginning, it was, can I stay sober today? Yeah. Can I stay sober today? Yeah. And I did that for a number of years. But you know what I can take from that and I bring into my work is everything that I've achieved, if I'd have looked and tried to map it out too much, this is how my head works. If I'd have tried to map it out too much at the beginning, I'd have just been like, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. That's not possible. Yeah. But, but when I make real headway in the work that I do, and you'll know this, cause you know me well, is when I just go, fuck it, I'm just gonna try this. Yeah. And I just do it. And then you look at like Inner You, for example, the, the, my, my my online program, I did loads of like talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, didn't I? And then I just, one month was like, I'm just gonna make it. Yeah. I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna put it out there and I'm gonna see what happens. Yeah. I've had failures though with that. I've had failures doing that as well. But that is progress. That's, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, you have to fail, innit? Like you, you have to fail. Yeah. Do you remember when I did, um, and I've not talked about this openly since, do you remember when I, I was like, uh, right at the beginning, I was like, there's enough people in Swindon that'll come and watch me do a talk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went yeah. and got the a event. venue, yeah. yeah, did an event and yeah. I was like, sold tickets and I just didn't, I yeah. couldn't sell any. Yeah. And I had to put a thing out and I canceled it and said, um, something like there was a mix up with the venue, I'm gonna reschedule and I never did. Yeah. And it was cause like, I'd, and it was failure. It was like, I'd got, I'd run away with myself and I just thought everybody wants to see this and that. But I learned from that as well, yeah. right? I learned things from that, I learned, and then I was willing to take the risk. I was willing to risk doing things again yeah. and creating a new summer. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. I think the failure, your failure is really important for your personal journey to understand, because otherwise you're always living in theory, aren't you? You're always living in theory. And I think I'm the reverse of that. And that's why I learn a lot from you um, occasionally, very occasionally, <laughs> yeah, rarely in fact. Um, it is, I can, I, I have a bit of a perfection gene. Yeah. Right? In, it's in certain elements, not across everything, right? Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, not in the way you scrub yourself up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is just natural born, you know, uh, luck to be looking like this. But, um, the you know, like I can sometimes slow things right down because I'm not happy with, you know, the you know the way it looks or the way it might appear and, I'm worried about the impact and you just got like, like perfection is the enemy of progress. Yeah. And that's why you just get on out there and experiment and pe people have to respond to your ideas. Yeah. Otherwise they're just, you know, they're just, you know, gonna sit there gathering dust. I've got, a, I've got a little antidote for that. I'm gonna tell you antidote, anecdote. Uh, well, I can't what is it? An anecdote's a little story. Antidote is like, if you drink poison, you have the antidote and it will fix you up. Yeah, it's definitely anecdote. Okay. In that case. All right. Um, <laughs> Tell us your... On that note, anecdote. I just was showing, before we came in here, I was showing, for the listeners, I was showing Hass my new bag and I said it's a version of the, what did I call it? You called it a Dutchel bag. <laughs> a Dutchel bag. A I was like, bag. it's the Fred Perry version of the iconic Dutchel. And as I said it, I thought, that ain't right. I wonder if he'll pick me out on it. <laughs> and then you did. I never let you off the hook, that no, do you I? No, you don't, no. Um, but this thing, this... Uh, what is it though? What are those bags called? Duffel bags. Yeah, you, had to, you had to think there for a second, didn't you? But um, there was, I don't know where, I can't remember which book I read this in, um, but there were some some social scientists or whatever, and they, what they were trying to look at, it's uh, either somewhere in, in a, a Chinese schools, or it might have been Japanese, you'll have to forgive me, but it was that kind of area of the world, they were looking at why they seem to be so much better at things like maths and like um, uh, subjects at school like that, that are, you know, learn and then do, yeah? Um, why they seem to perform so much better than those in America. And they did a big thing where they looked at them over the course of like five or 10 years, they looked at both of them to see if they could see clues as to why that might happen, yeah? And what they found was one of the biggest findings they had was the way in which um, the children in each place um, dealt with failure. In America, when you failed, it was disappointment, you failed, you've got it wrong, and it's failure, as we kind of see it pretty much where we are as well, right? In yeah. Western culture in general. In the other place where they looked, 
uh, what they found was is that failure was literally celebrated and they used an example of a child who was trying to do, I don't, I don't remember what it was, say Pythagoras on the board and he kept getting it wrong. But when he, every time he got it wrong, the children would cheer and they would, be, they would clap him because they knew that act of getting it wrong was one step closer to getting it right. Mm -hmm. So they didn't even see it as failure. They just saw it as, 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 as ticking off another way of doing it wrong so that yeah. you're getting closer to doing it right. Yeah. And they actually pinpointed that and said that was one of the biggest differences, yeah. the biggest cultural differences that defined them being better at things like maths than, than the children wow. in the USA. Yeah. And it was Incredible. the perception of failure. Yeah. What was it? Edison, when he was inventing the light bulb, he said, I didn't succeed once, I failed 10,000 times. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, it is, so, tr it is yeah. so true. And in a way, I think um, our schooling system, you know, is set up to tell you not to fail, isn't it? Yeah. It is. We're, we just test the shit out of kids now. Um, yeah. And the idea is don't fail your test. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that schooling is built so much around that. And that is a problem, I think. Well, it's connected to budgets and it's connected to performance and, you know, like... It's budgets at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. And that comes back to us as people, by the yeah. way. You know, I've been talking about this a lot lately. Um, but that comes back to us as people and wanting to know where our money's going. Yeah? Yeah. And so these schools after, you know, you look at SATs. I yeah. just thought, I just think it's so ironic that my 11-year-old son... Yeah was starting his SATs test on the day Mental Health Awareness Week started. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? And just think the, yeah. the fucking irony in that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It says it all, testing. And, and SATs are there to test the teachers, not the kids. Yeah. And and yet all the pressure is on the kids. Yeah. Mm. Um, speaking of the government. Oh, segue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about the government at the moment? Um, it's been a while. Let me ask you, let rant. me ch chuck a question back at you. Did you vote recently? Uh, we didn't have any, no, we didn't have any voting, uh, uh, any... What, a pencil? What, a yeah, pencil? no, no, we didn't have anyone standing for election. <laughs> uh, <laughs> teeth back in. <laughs> I am struggling today, as you know, because I've got these uh, new braces. You've got your new braces on. Um, how do I feel about the government at the moment? Co uh, dangerously indifferent. Yeah. Completely politically... Devoidant and homeless. Yeah. How I feel. Yeah. Like genuinely, that's yeah. exact. That is. That's what they want, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, let's have a quick check. Boris Johnson's still prime minister. He is. And at this moment in time, I think uh, I'm also uh, I'm almost inclined to say fair play, mate. Keep yeah. doing whatever you want. Well, you, if you're fucking allowed he can to. Do what he, he can do what you he, can do what you he likes, want, mate. Right? And um, he can't trade off Ukraine anymore. You no. know. Um, no. He's managed to quieten down the Partygate stuff. By the way, where's that independent report that was supposed to be coming out? Where's that? Well, you just uh, find them all, innit? Yeah. You just find them. Yeah. You got, what did he get, an 80 yeah. quid fine or something? Yeah. And tried, then- Tried to get Keir Starmer, you know, and his curry uh, into the newspapers. But all the while, um, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening, right? Yeah. So do you know what Operation Scepter is? No. Yeah, so Operation Scepter is basically the code name of like these sweeping new measures that Preeti Patel is, is bringing in, right? Right. Which basically... Oh, I do know a bit about yeah, this. Yeah, which Go basically uh, elevates the powers of police mm -hmm. and kind of security forces and obviously, you know, reduces the uh, the rights of, of, of citizens. Mm. So they're calling it the uh, inverted commas crime fighting week. Wow. Right, so the launch of you know, so series checking. If Siri is not Even fucking happy about not having this, it. <laughs> let um, me show you this on the web. And uh, one of the major contentious things that are happening as a result of kind of the Section sixty stops is that um, police will be able to do stop and search with on with no reasonable grounds now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, you might think, well, you know, like police do their job and that's fine. Interestingly, the police have come out and said, we didn't ask for this. Okay. Mm. So here's why this is a problem. Uh, black and Asian minority people are 6.7 times more likely to be stopped than a white person. Mm -hmm. Black people are 18 times more likely to be stopped. Wow. Okay. So the police... Uh, you know, I'm not saying everyone in the police is going to do it, but if if it becomes part of culture and they're kind of pushed towards doing it, you're going to get 
that number's going to go up. Yeah, of course right? it will. Yeah, disproportionately. Yeah. So let's talk. We'll talk about that in a minute, right? But here's what I think is going on. I think what the Conservative Party are doing is they're sort of gearing up a long-term strategy for uh, for a new election, mm -hmm. which is to paint a, 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 another culture of fear in that we have to give police these powers because black people are dangerous, Asian people are dangerous, and that's why we're doing it, we're saving you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's going on. Yeah. Oh, that, I, I, look, I think when you look back over the last two or three years, um, it showed them, just reminded them, remember how powerful it is to make people scared. Mm. And, you know, because one thing we, we will be really difficult now to do is to go out and protest about what she's doing, because mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but a year ago, yeah. when everyone was worried about COVID, she brought in the bill where she gets to decide whether a protest is legal or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're in a, we're in dire straits with, um, with that. And, and, um, what the government is doing in every aspect of um, of their power is creating these narratives where they don't have to address the issue. They can keep the money within this within the system. They can keep the power within the system. Yeah, and everybody else thinks, and everybody thinks they're doing it because of fear, and we should be scared, yeah. and they need to give them more powers because if they don't then you might get robbed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So fear is a very powerful narrative. And actually, um, it, it, it means that they don't have to address any of the cultures which might be creating the rise in crime. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing, yeah. Oh, oh, and the other thing is, of the people that are stopped, overwhelmingly, the majority have nothing illegal on them. Yeah. So there's no evidence to suggest that this is fair. So there, there is no evidence to say that there's rising crime as it relates to this. Yeah, yeah. There was obviously rising uh, poverty mm. and there may be crime, additional crime related to that. But why is there rising poverty, right? So, uh, you know, we know that people are struggling in terms of income. Yeah. We know that they're struggling because of the rising costs of inflation. Mm -hmm. We know that the energy prices is the thing that's just driving people below the breadline. I read now this morning that people are skipping meals, then they're, they're sitting in the dark at night. Some kid went to school with chillblains, mm. sore feet. Like we're not even in the, we've got another price hike coming in October, yet the government is stalling on charging a windfall tax to these energy companies who are making record profits. Yeah, well, let's just say something very quickly because we bigged him up early on in our podcast days. Richie Sunak turned out to be a prick. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> King of the pricks. Uh, yeah. Probably still smiles good, but yeah. he's a prick. Um, um, I don't know. Did you see the interview with Boris Johnson when um, he went on... Uh, it's not called GMTV anymore, but, but ITV's but version. No, yeah. I didn't see it, yeah. So the, the the lady on there, I forget her name, but she was interviewing him and she said, this, is, this actually happened. I can't believe I said it. She was like, this price hike in energy bills. She was like, um, I'm going to give you a case study. This lady in her 70s, lives on her own, right? Struggling to eat, goes to food banks. She can't afford to put the heating on anymore. And so has literally had to take, it's safer for her. She gets on the buses every day with her free bus pass and sits on the bus for most of the day so that she can stay warm. Do you know what Boris Johnson's reply was? You must remember that we were the ones who implemented the free bus pass. Oh, wow. Right, the fuck, wow. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And like the the... the the rate, the things that he can say, have you seen him come out about the working from home now? When you work from home, he's like, when I work from home, I don't work as hard. I end up in the fridge getting cheese now and and, right. and stalling, going yeah. back to the laptop. And I think, fuck off me. You, you have parties when you're working from home. Yeah. Like, how can you even come out and say this stuff? So like, um, we exist You know now. why he can say this stuff? Because he knows he can. Yeah, yeah, because we let him. Yeah. Because we let him. Yeah. Two years ago, two or just over two years ago now, yeah, we were on this podcast and I was talking about how a complaint to a, was made to a charity that I volunteer with yeah. because I made a joke about Boris Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, this is why, by the way, whole another conversation that we're not having today, but why censorship shouldn't happen. Because two years ago, Pete, you weren't allowed to say Boris Johnson's horrible, right? Yeah. And now, like, you know, it's par for the course, but 
he's got himself in such a position of power now. Yeah. Where most people that were against him. Yeah. Sort of believe that they don't really have any power to do anything yeah. about it. Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't know if we talked about it on here before. I want to. I'm gonna rein myself back in slightly, but we really do need to address the power structures that we exist in and the ways in which they, you know, give police more power so that we don't have to fund societies that create knife crime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, medicalize and make everybody's internal distress. Let's make all of that a mental illness that's wholly genetic yeah. Yeah. so that we don't have to look at the environments that create yeah. people with distress. Yeah. yeah. It's happening everywhere not to be too doom and gloom but we need to start talking about it probably. all right we we do we are yeah we are other people are the the nature of power structures is that they inherently um protect themselves right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so they're almost you know let's say they've got the wealth to be able to put behind other you know um or the power to be able to stamp out any sort of you know insurrection it's when it's yeah, when yeah. the it's when the tide of feeling gets so great that you can't stop it that the so you might have you know you see the uprisings that happened in sort of middle east or um the arab spring and those sort of things where you just cannot contain it anymore yeah 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 but eventually the power just kind of takes a different form and comes back in yeah so the question is how how do you how do you start to challenge the power structures mm. that are so invested in preventing you from being able to do that. Yeah, and you know one of the big one of the big problems that you're going to have with this um giving the police more power and all of that in that way, right? And I'll I'll be really gut level honest here. It's going to upset like you said the, the black and asian people the most. Mm -hmm. And so it will be easy to create a narrative yeah, when if they start because they're going to be the ones that shout about it the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if any protests happen, it might be largely, you know, it's going to be like Black Lives Matter type stuff again. Yeah. And the narrative will be, look at them again. Mm. That's what it'll be. Not, that's not what I'm saying, mm. but you can see that, can't you? Yeah. And you can see how those in power would be able to say, all we've done is try to protect you. Yeah. What, look I, what, they're doing. what I think eventually, and I know it sounds crazy because he's still in power, but I think what will eventually bring Boris Johnson down will be Boris Johnson himself. And the reason I think that is because he's probably now at a point where he's like Teflon Don, like Dominic Cummins, come at me, fuck off. You know, yeah. like media come at me, like party gate police come at me. He probably thinks he's completely untouchable. And the problem with that is that it, it, it keeps going to your head and then eventually you fall. Donald Trump is a case in, in point where he got to such a point where he incited a riot. Mm. I'm not saying they're the same, but they're definitely cut from the same cloth you get to a point where you just believe in your power too much. You yeah. believe in your um, autocracy too much that it's the downfall of you. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And let me ask you this, and I think I asked you last time we had this conversation, if there was a general election tomorrow, who do you think would win? Uh, I still think the Tories would do it by a whisker. Now, the reason why I think they do it by a whisker is I think between Labour and Liberal Democrats, they, they would take more of the share than they've had in the past. Yeah. And I don't think Tories have as big a stronghold, but they will win. And it may be that part of that strategy is to get hit, rid of him and have someone else in power. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Um. I think Boris Johnson would probably still win again. Yeah. Look, I think if there was an election, I think the Tories would probably really think, do we should we get somebody else yeah. in yeah. to do it? Um, but my kind of beliefs is, you know, without being too downbeat about it again, is they're all pretty much as bad as each other. I, you know, um, I don't trust Keir Starmer much more than I would trust Boris Johnson, if I'm honest with you. I think Keir Starmer would have a little bit more about him to to know what to show as right and wrong. Yeah. But I, I think I disagree. That my personal opinion is I disagree yeah, yeah. with you. I think fundamentally, from what I see, and all I can do is from what I see, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. maybe that's what you're pointing to, is 
you know, um, you only see what they show you. But from what I see, he seems a fundamentally better human being than Boris Johnson. And yeah. actually, regardless, I just think one party and one person in power too long, like that's why the one thing America does do really well is to have term limits on presidents. Yeah. It stops this shit happening. And, and yeah, I guess the counter to that is that if they're only in there four years, they ain't never going to do anything. Eight for, years, for the potential eight, for eight years. And you yeah. can do a lot in eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And you can pass the mantle, but you well. could go, you know, if you're strong enough and you've been a strong president for two terms, which is eight years, yeah. and you have a strong vice president or a strong, you know, like you can continue the legacy, you know, it changes hands a lot. But yeah. eight years is a long time to, you know, are you sort of suggesting that maybe you need 12 to 15 years? I'm not pointing, I'm just saying like, do you think you need that long? I think really it's, it's important to keep you honest if you know that actually at every... Look, I think short-termism is, is, is a problem in general anyway. And yeah. I, I think it would be irrelevant if yeah. I think people still want quick results. Don't yeah. You know, when I look at the things that I'm passionate about, which is supporting children properly, to see the full effects of effects of supporting five-year-olds properly, you yeah. need 15 years. Yeah. My view, by the, by the way, on um, on how we start to upset the structures is to just find more people like us and just do it from a grassroots level and just and try and sort of you you, you know you kick up a storm from sort of boots on the ground as opposed to um, hoping that there's going to be a shift in policy at a, yeah. at a macro level. There may be a change, you know. I don't imagine, you know, the, the way that politics is structured is that there, there just isn't much room to, to change the system, mm. right? So actually, I think we've got to just get more vocal, more groups, more more allyship and stuff. And But the problem, as we know, is that people get bored and move on. Mm. Uh, look, look how the world centered around what was going on in Ukraine. And everyone's just gone back to their lives now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just that's just a, an example. Same thing happened with Black Lives Matter. Same thing, you know, actually didn't even touch the surface that there was a racist killing in Buffalo, yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we didn't re we, we haven't really heard about much of it on the news. No. Yeah, but what, actually what's happened here is, a, you know, there was a white racist gunman mm. who went into a store I think he killed about 13 people, 11 of which were people of color, black people. And the police talked him down from shooting himself and he was arrested. Mm. Now the disproportionate approach that they took with him versus the likely approach that they would have taken with a black man, yeah. which would have been, he would have been shot have dead. Shot him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, would have, they would have taken his life. They yeah, wouldn't yeah. have just shot to kind of disable him. They would have taken his life. They would yeah. have shot him in his head. Yeah, yeah. So that is still going on. Yeah. Even even though all these companies, all these brands, all these people, mm. you know, said they'd be allies, but they're all quiet now. Yeah. They're yeah, all yeah. quiet. Yeah. And actually black people are feeling that. It's like, well, you know, I, I can I, I say that because, you know, I see that. People are saying, well, where, where, where are these big voices now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go quiet. You're, you're disproportionately silent. Yeah. And that's why um, I think we need, to, we, we, we need to hold on to power a lot more than we do as um, more local communities. Because if you look at what's going on, power is slowly being taken away from, from communities. And, you're, you know, you're getting closer and closer to this big globalization of power you watch how they're mobilizing off the back of covid now and you know the the laws that they're trying to bring in for the next pandemic and yeah. making sure that they hold on to all those kind of you know things of power and you see it happening but you know if you talk too much about that you're a conspiracy theorist and when 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 they were bringing in elements of power during the last two years it was shut down and we need local power we need like communities we need to give power to communities to do what's right for them and to be able to support themselves. Yeah. The further power gets away from those local communities, the harder it's going to be for us to be able to achieve anything. Yeah. I think the shift on that has to be when you start to feel, you know, when you sort of, when people say to you, when people were saying to you when you were, um, when you first got sober, I remember you saying people say, oh, you're incredible. What a hero, what a story, what a journey. You're such, you know, you're such an inspiration. You weren't feeling it, no. right? 
you no, weren't no, feeling it no. and it took a real journey but then once you start to feel your power that was like a transformational beginnings of a transformational journey for yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so when we say to communities oh just you know feel feel like take your power feel it if you're not feeling it you're not going to because you're yeah. just you're not you know whereas when you start to feel your power individually you know one plus one equals a group then you grow the group and then and you feel your power together you lock arms face out together mm. that's when you start to build like because it doesn't then doesn't matter if they sort of send the police to try and shut you down or send you know uh you know uh, a letter to say cease and desist from having this conversation because actually you feel strong because you're part of something yeah and it's you know it's hard i mean if you take if you take what the um Extinction Rebel, is that what they're called? Extinction the, Rebellion. You know, the climate yeah, yeah, change yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, the media did a really good job of making them look like yeah. like people that we hate. And yeah. they went to some great lengths, you know, I know they were gluing themselves to the floor and, you know, the media would say that, you know, an, somebody died in an ambulance because they couldn't get through and all that mm. kind of stuff, right? And I get it, I understand. I mean, I, I was never stuck in any of the traffic jams, but I could imagine I would have been cussing them if I was, yeah. right? But, but, assuming that climate change is what they're saying it is in years time there'll be heroes for making it all on our on our radar right right but there's huge risk in in going against power yeah there's huge risk in going and i, I i've just talked about you know black lives matter was was really celebrated last time right because of you know what we saw with george floyd and it was very visual and, and you know i think it really struck a chord with everybody if the same kind of movement happened again off the back of this giving the police more i think the the, the, the media would probably succeed in in making people think mm. badly mm. of any protesters mm. like you know look, look at them at it again, yeah and there's no yeah. smoke without fire yeah, you yeah, know yeah. if you've got if you've done nothing wrong why do you care about being stopped and searched yeah. if you've yeah. got nothing on you why does it matter yeah. right all that yeah. kind of narrative yeah and it would be easy to create that yeah so there's so there's risk in in, in going against the power mainly because the media has um such a large grip on everybody as well yeah and like i recognize how much things have changed for me since i got i got rid of all news outlets yeah, yeah. i know i've talked about it loads of times yeah. but all of them, including Sky Sports and all yeah, of them. Yeah. I do my, I find my own stuff out. Yeah. And that's why I'm really passionate about not censoring anybody. You know, I know I don't want to bring up the Joe Rogan conversation we had, but the likes of those kind of podcasts, we need to keep freedom in them so that they can give us information for us to make our own yeah. judgments on things. Uh, actually, I'm really glad you sort of brought us there because actually what you reminded me a little bit earlier of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, speaking of censorship, um, uh, what do you think about Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter and taking it private? And one of the things he said is he doesn't think that Donald Trump should have been permanently removed from the platform, yeah. that he would put him back. And Donald Trump has said, oh, I wouldn't come back anyway, but he would come back because he's even though he's got his stupid right-wing social pl media platform that he's trying to launch, he'll get an instant kind of, you know, he'll get an instant audience back and he'll be able to use the power. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about Elon Musk coming in uh, and buying Twitter and taking it private? Could, uh, you need to help me out a little bit because I don't know loads about Elon Musk, right? I recognise that a lot of people like venomously hate him. I, I think, I don't know. I think there's a sort of a sort of a chalk and cheese kind of thing. You can't probably deny that he's an absolute genius in terms of, um, you know, what he did with PayPal, selling PayPal, I think at like 29 or something, he, he sold right. for like 137 million. Then he set up SpaceX and, you know, he's a pioneer around space exploration. Yeah, Tesla. Yeah, yeah. There's a big kind of thing around him is that he's, he's, he's such a showman and he's, you know, he's, you know, and that's a big part of why his ventures do really well. But, you know, he's, you know. So why do people hate him? He's divisive. He's strong. He's got strong opinions. He's, um, he's, uh, he calls people out. He can really zone in on people. So do you remember when um, uh, those those boys got stuck in a cave in Thailand? Yeah. And there was this guy, uh, like a, a specialist scuba diver that was an expert in this. And he went out there and uh, I think uh, Elon Musk offered to help. And I think he was possibly a little bit short in his response back uh, to Elon Musk. And I don't know the background behind it. But then Elon Musk just basically turned all of his might, all of his 80 plus million uh, sort of 
Twitter followers and started to kind of make up some stuff, like he's a paedophile and all sorts of stuff. And it was just really, really like... Well, did he actually context. make that up? He made that Yeah, yeah, it was completely made up. Oh, right. And then right. you try well, and suit bad. someone like Elon Musk for, for libel and you're not going to get anywhere, so... Okay, um, so to, to, to go back to the question... But on the Twitter thing, by the way, sorry, he was a big early investor, big proponent, big user of it, right? Um, then started to get quite aggressive around the board and uh, and just you know disdainful around the algorithm and how it you know how it's kind of distorted the work, you know the platform. He said it's like it should be like a town hall that people can you know to kind of use to kind of you know get news. So he would take it private and I think would would shift it into kind of what he thinks is good. And there are some people that support it. Jack Dorsey, who was the founder of Twitter and the ex CEO, he supports it. I do think that the board has moved to agree it. I don't know where it is at the moment because they kept kind of coming on, bit right. on and off. But I think the board moved because it, it made financial sense. So it, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. So people are worried that he's going to move the algorithms to suit his own agenda. Is that is that what you're saying? I think he's trying to say it, we're going to re-democratise it because he doesn't like where Twitter's gone. And yeah. you're, you're, a nav, you're a much more uh, prolific user of Twitter than I am. Yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm curious about that. What I'm nervous about is... Uh, Donald Trump, you know, uh, and, you know, if it's not Donald Trump, it might be something else. And I think his notion around censorship is the same as yours, which is we shouldn't censor. Mm. And I'm definitely more open minded to the, the debate and conversation around that, because I think you're right that what happened with Twitter was that it was run by probably liberal left leaning people. And they shut off one part of society. And that's a dangerous place to be yeah, when, yeah, you, when yeah, you run yeah. a media organisation of, yeah. of Twitter scale. Yeah. So it's a really complex conversation. I, I, I mean, I used to really love Twitter when I, you know, I, I've said it on here when we started this podcast. We've been going for a couple of years now. That like I'm I'm overly left, hard leaning left if I want. And da -da. one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that um, I wasn't too different in those instances to the people that I was going against, the hard right, yeah, mm. in that they had a different sort of opinion to me and I felt that they should shut up and listen to my opinion and do what I say. And what I've realised over the last couple of years in, in the way that I've seen things go is that fascism, you know, a type of fascism can take on a lot of different forms. And, and some of the people that I was sort of leaning myself into, the hard left, uh, you know, when I look at like, I'll say it, vaccine mandates and yeah, things like yeah. that over the yeah. last two years. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with um, telling people what they should do with their bodies. Um, and I don't agree with telling people, I think everybody should be able to live autonomously. So so um, to bring it back to what do I think about Donald Trump getting his platform back? Something that I've said in the past, I think you've probably said it as well, and I hear a lot of people saying now is, um, when you have a platform, you have a responsibility um, uh, to research and understand and know what you're saying. I think there's some truth in that. I think that's being wheel wielded too much as a bit of an axe nowadays, actually. Um, and I think what we need to do is educate one another on our own responsibility to research things ourselves. So I think people can say whatever they want online and we need to educate people to just stop believing anyone and everything. Yeah. And go and do your own research. Yeah. I don't like censorship. Joe Rogan, that wasn't that long ago that we done that. The things he was originally, take the race stuff away from, but the first stuff that he was originally censored for is now mainstream normal news. Yeah. They're all talking about how the, yeah. the vaccines are killing people and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, sorry, they are talking about how the vaccine can be linked to that stuff, yeah? So, so yesterday's things that's fake news and censorship is today's yeah. truth. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want censorship. Yeah. I don't want it. Yeah. And actually, you know, I don't... Fundamentally, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I've, I, I've reflected on it since our conversation before, throughout, afterwards. Fundamentally, I agree with you that censorship only leads to more danger, I think. Because yeah. you, drive, you drive conversations underground, and underground is where um, really dangerous shit happens. So actually, um, also, you, you, if you drive it underground, you think it's not happening, and that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, yeah. So at least if it's sort of happening, um, you can, you know, it's happening anyway. Yeah. Whether you see it or not, it's happening anyway. Yeah, yeah. So if you see it, you can start to be more aware of it. You can mobilize around it. You can, 
uh, debate with it, you can call it out, do all those things, right? Yeah. But if it's not there, then you don't know what's going on. So I think I, I fundamentally agree with that. What I think the responsibility of the platforms shouldn't be to censor, it should be to create the structure to enable uh, safekeeping, safeguarding, and open debate at the same time. And I'm not saying that's easy. Mm. That may even be an impossible task, but that's their responsibility. If you're gonna, if you're gonna give, uh, you know, pr make money off of the platform, uh, promote the platform, then you have to put an infrastructure in place, a system in place that treats everyone in the same way. So you can't just go unilaterally, I'm gonna ban Donald Trump, but then leave the hard left just because you sort of agree with what they say more than you agree with what he says. So you've got to have a way that kind of almost allows people to uh, have the debate, but then if it, if it violates whatever the codes might be, that there's a system in place that kind of measures and monitors and looks at it. Uh, but I think outright censorship, like permanent removal off of a platform is a dangerous place because they, they don't go away. No, no. Well, just, you give look at what you said about Donald Trump. Pure. He's going to yeah, set his own yeah. his own platform yeah, 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 up for all yeah. his right wing cronies yeah. to go. And, and this one might fail, but eventually it won't. Because what makes yeah. what makes uh, the left wing tech people think that there can't be right wing tech people that could build it just as big? You know, like it's 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 very possible. I mean, they tried it with a couple of platforms, but you know, it is it is definitely in the realms of possibility that you could have a right-wing version of Twitter of that scale. If people are operating within the law, I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me or you or anybody else with what they're saying, I think they should be allowed to say it. And I think, you know, our, I guess our concern of giving somebody like uh, Donald Trump a platform is the way in which he could mobilize people and what he could get those people to do. Yeah. Right? Based on his beliefs. We've just been talk about, talking about mobilizing people. Yeah, based on our people, beliefs. Based on our own beliefs. Abs absolutely. Now, Donald Trump might, might be sat there with all his cronies going, if we let them on Twitter doing that, right, they might mobilize and they might get what they want. So then he would try and shut us down. So we have to understand that we all have difference of opinion. Um, and, and, you know, the amount of breakthroughs I have in my life where I start to think, wow, what I believed two years ago, you know, what I believed two years ago and I don't think that's true anymore and I think it's wrong. So, and I passionately believed it and I would have got behind it yeah. and I would have shut anybody down and yeah. said, you're right, you're wrong and I'm right. And here I am two years later going, I don't think I agree with But But look, that was one of the reasons we set this thing up. Yeah. Was to have a debate and sometimes we'll leave a room and like, I, I fucking disagree with that arsehole. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the power of reflection allows us to come back into the conversation. Yeah and bring it to our listeners and, and, and give a different perspective. And, and we have so many people come back to us and say, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. I would yeah. never have thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually that's all we're trying to do. Yeah, I, I, you know, and it, I don't want to live in a world where you're not allowed to say anything that makes anybody, someone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and I've talked loads about that. Yeah. That's dysfunctional. Yeah. No, I don't want anybody to walk yeah. on eggshells. Yeah. I don't like Donald Trump. Yeah, I don't really like what he's got to say. Yeah. So I won't follow him on Twitter. Yeah. You don't have to follow him. Yeah. And I know Twitter and algorithms will show you stuff. Um, but I am my own person. Yeah. I get to make decisions. I get to, if something triggers me and makes me feel uncomfortable, yeah. what do I do with that? Yeah. Do I say, has that thing you said makes me feel uncomfortable? I don't want you around me when you're saying it. Or do I go, what? Like, why is that making me feel yeah. uncomfortable? And what can yeah. I do with that? Yeah. And I think, you know, the internet's still very new. Social media's still very, very new. Um, and we're still finding our way with it. Two years ago, I believed strongly in censorship of anybody that wasn't saying anything that I thought was... I remember on one of the podcasts directly saying to you, you were challenging me on one of the things and you was like, yeah, but who gets to choose what's bad and good? And I was like, it's pretty clear. This ain't good. And this is bad. That should be cut out. Nobody can tell me that's good, yeah? And then... And then we grow and we change and we evolve as, as, as yeah. people, you know? And I, yeah. I, I, and I love I love characters as well. I love different types of people, you know? I quite enjoy sometimes being around somebody whose views I completely hate, but I think they're a character mm. because I love... Well, what we, you and I both do, I think, is we sort of, we study people. Yeah. 
And so I'm always thinking about what's the trigger, what's the story, what's going on, what drives a person. So I often think like, like, like I'm, I, I go like, what must have happened in Pretty Patel's life for her to be like this? Yeah. Now? Yeah. I'm really curious about it. I dislike her massively from what I see, but there's something there in her past that leads to that. And so I'm curious about that. Um, the one thing I'd say about you know our, our sort of shared view on on that there shouldn't be censorship is is the awareness, understanding, and empathy. That that some people will disagree with us, particularly as it relates to certain things like the topics of race or gender or uh, same sex marriages or like you know there is. There's a lot of stuff that we have in our positions of privilege that allow us to be able to say that. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to be able to acknowledge that like someone who is a person of color will feel really differently. And I'm, I am a person of color, but um, you know, other people may feel really differently because they shouldn't feel like that at any point in their life they can have like racism hurled at them. Mm. Like, like we've had to live with that for generations, you know, hundreds of years and we're sort of sick of it. So I definitely appreciate that this is a bigger conversation that I'd love us to kind of keep having, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that is that is what we do, isn't it? We we do, we dare to challenge, but, but you know, you use that word privilege and we've talked a lot about power today and stuff like that. And I do, you know, I recognize you know, I've worked very hard to get myself into the position where I am in my life at the moment. But I also recognize how much easier it is for me to say, I don't care if you don't like me. Now I don't need people to like me as much as I did when well, I first started out on yeah, my journey. Yeah. You see, yeah. so there's a level of, you know, yeah, I have yeah, to be, yeah. I have to be aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, two we, we, years we, ago, yeah. when everybody hated me, yeah. well, not everybody hated me, but I got a lot of backlash because of something I said about Boris Johnson. Yeah. It broke me and I started thinking, oh my God, is yeah. that my, you know, yeah. my line of work down the pan? Because I rely on all of that sort of stuff, right? And here I am two years later because things have grown considerably for me. And you you feel your There's own power There's a cushion more. there and I feel my own power more but and I, I can say, don't like that's me. A, if that's a circular thing, right? Because, yeah. Because when you feel your own power more, you, you, you are able to live into your authentic identity a yeah. bit more. And when we both started this, we were worried because we, we were out doing kind of, you know, our professional work. And we were worried about maybe the conflict of speaking candidly and openly yeah. in a more relaxed way. Like we're more relaxed with our language here than we would be in some of our professional work. Yeah. But actually, I think that I'm really comfortable with how these two worlds collide. Yeah. And integrate. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Like it makes us stronger. It makes me more confident in my professional work. Oh, definitely, definitely. So There's no doubt it. about that. Mate, what, I love being in the studio. It's so good. Yeah, we'll fucking make time to get in it then. I will now. <laughs> um, he keeps telling me, the listeners, by the way, June. June, yeah. We're not there yet, but that's when he keeps telling me we'll be in well, it. Well, you sort of um, given away a bit of a spoiler of my uh, reasons to be cheerful. So on that note, Josh, but um, uh, reasons to be cheerful. Mate, I've got a really nice one. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know if it started in lockdown or, or before, but you know when people started painting pebbles yeah. and hiding them around yeah, yeah, the place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My youngest daughter now is off stabilizer, so she's riding a bike. We got her a new bike. And um, the two girls, my two youngest, put on their backpacks and we had all these painted pebbles and we went out on a bike ride around where we live. My son, my 11-year-old boy came with us and his mate was with us as well. Leah's got a bike. I was out on my bike and we went out just on our bikes, hiding these like rocks everywhere. Brilliant. And honestly, I might have spoke to you about it separately, but honestly, I just kept thinking I have fucking made it. Do you know what I mean? I was like riding about on these bikes, yeah. my little daughters and that with their backpacks, getting them off and then, you know, discussing whether if hiding it here was a good idea and going about the village that I live in or it's bit bigger than a village now um, but it makes me sound more middle class if I say village it's probably a town uh, but going around and uh, hiding these pebbles mate it was um, yeah that's my reasons to be cheerful I love it and actually what, what you've told me out of this room is that it's so different to who you was 10, you know, yeah, 10 years ago like yeah. you, you just wouldn't have contemplated life like that so no I love that mate I love that story um, yeah for me my reason to be cheerful is transition and uh, like I've been 
you know, really, you, you mentioned June, but for me, June is a pivotal moment where I start to really live into kind of what, what I see as a, a vision of my future, our f collective future in terms of the business, but also what that opens up for me. So that means I'll be stepping away from my, uh, the delivery work as much as I've been doing, I'll still be doing coaching, but, uh, but w now we use our coaches to do the bulk of our delivery. Chris is kind of leading that and it really opens up my sort of, uh, possibility around the digital and, you know, the, the other part of the business. So whilst that doesn't, s you know, that isn't as lovely as yours for me, it's a big moment because yeah, yeah. I can already start to feel myself moving into a new space mentally. Yeah. And that just makes me really excited because of what, the impact of that is is I know that that's going to allow me to do all the things I want to do in terms of being more present, being with the family, spending more yeah. time, and that that's what I'm really excited about. That so, mate, I love it. What an absolute conversation that was, and how good it is to be back in the studio. Yeah, we'll see it. everyone in two weeks' time. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kai.